I've been warned about that. Yeah. Um, it's so good to see you. Um, well, let me just pray again. Uh, first, I'll read the scripture, and then I'll pray. Um, we're in Galatians 4, uh, and I do have a remote, so I should be okay. I mean that the heir, as long as he is a child, is no different from a slave, though he is the owner of everything. But he's under guardians and managers until the date set by his father. In the same way, we also, when we were children, were enslaved to the elementary principles of the world. But when the fullness of time had come, God sent forth his son, born of a woman, born under the law, to redeem those who are under the law, so that we might receive adoption as sons. And because you are sons, God has sent the spirit of his son into our hearts, crying, Abba, Father. So you are no longer a slave, but a son. And if a son, then an heir through God. Oh, Lord, help. In Jesus' name. Um, so I don't know your relationship at, uh, at home with your father, how it went, how things were. I didn't particularly know my father well. I was the youngest of five. Uh, the first memory of uh, being, doing something with my father was getting on a roller coaster. Uh, my hometown has a big uh, um, fair, the Western Washington State Fair, and uh, there's a roller coaster there. It's made out of wood. Uh, it might be made out of something else these days, but when you are sort of engineering-minded and you look at a structure of wood that's been around for a long time, you feel like it's kind of rickety and is it going to hold this time? So we were going up, I remember this very well, and my father asking, do you want to get off or do you want to go on the ride? And I said, well, I'd really rather prefer to get off right now. And he said, well, it's too late. And so <laughs> off we went. So that's my, that's my first real memory of, of time with my father. Um, I know a lot of people have a, a, very, a variety of relationships uh, with their fathers. And one of the ways that we learn what a loving father truly is like is through the scriptures and through the way that God, our father, um, has cared for us. So um, first, I just want you to notice the way this text switches. Um, Oh, I have control. Uh, This text will switch between singular and plural about us and about you, about him and about that. And... um, and it is a way in which um, we discover that we do belong together. And that is one of the purposes in God becoming our Father. This is language that's very natural in John. Uh, you must be born again. But in uh, Paul, it's not always the first thing that comes to mind when you hear about Paul and when you think about Paul. And Paul uses this uh, phrase, Abba, Father. Oh, I will do the Canadian Abba, Father, and um, with no reference to any kind of music whatsoever. I wasn't even going to say that. Just but um, In order to remind us that we are belonging together and that in the work that God has done, uh, that has brought us I- in this relationship. Now, um, a church is not all about family. Uh, there are singles among us. I am single. Uh, church is not all about having a, um, children, right? Church is this not a human institution. This is what we talked about a little bit last week, and 
just to remind you, this is something God does, and only God can do it. And as we go through the text, I hope that you'll see how dependent we are on God to do his work. So um, I I will walk through about uh, how that works, but our life together as believers is not a personal-only life. There are things we do as individuals to grow in our walk with the Lord, but we are accountable to each other. I am accountable to you, and you are accountable to me. And so I'm glad to see you (laughs) because I have to talk to the Lord. I don't have to, but I get to talk to the Lord about you. And I hope you're talking to the Lord about me because I have to tell you, I spent too many hours revising this, uh, what I'm going to talk about, and I still don't think it's good enough. But you know what? I, I, I explained to a friend, that text right there, that is like the Mona Lisa or whatever you think of as, that's like the Eiffel Tower. I don't know what you think of in terms of what an artistic creation that would inspire for thousands of years people to look and be amazed. That text is that. This is the confluence of great rivers coming. All of the purposes of God come in confluence at this text, and it brings us, it's humbling. (laughs) As you go through Galatians, when I wanted to do Galatians, I'm off text already, but uh, when I wanted to uh, cover Galatians, there was a particular point I had in mind and something I wanted to get at. And I thought, well, okay, I'll just have to get through all the stuff about Hagar and Sarah and all that and circumcision. We're going to have to say that word that makes people uncomfortable. Well, there it is. Okay, so all the medical people are smiling. They're like, oh, we know about scalpels. But the rest of us, we're just terrified. Right? And so, but we might as well say it. The Bible is not at all uh, shy about talking about the realities of your life and my life. And one of the things that happens as we are baptized in Christ by the Spirit is that the old hard-heartedness of us is cut away. And that's what all of that was about, and that's, we'll get to that. But um, Paul's calling to us is not a human agenda. And so as I've been wandering through Galatians, and I learned the coolest thing this week. Um, if you have a Mac, you can highlight text, and then you can have it read it to you. I, I think Windows does this too, but okay. So... And, and I learned that, and I just saw so one of the ways, uh, when I was too weary to read it again, I listened to it. And you can pick different voices, Alex or Daniel or I don't know. But so these different voices. And um, do you do that? Is the Word of God so much a part of your life that you soak in it and let it uh, correct you and speak to you? That's what Paul does here in this text. He says, you want to read the law? Let me show you what the law says. And so if you want to understand the scriptures, you've got to soak in them. So if you want to live the Christian life, you need the Spirit of God to take the Word of God and make it alive to you. You can't do it by yourself. You need the Spirit. It is the Spirit sent for this purpose. So the whole idea that a group of people would go and start on a new line of work in order to come near to God by obeying the law is... It's outrageously stupid. And the reason this book is in the Scriptures, I call Galatians the royal road to Romans because in it is laid the foundation in a way that's different than the way Romans uh, lays the foundation. But many of the ideas are similar. 
and they, as they work their way into you, you'll better understand the context of Romans. So I encourage you, just because parts of uh, Galatians are difficult, Peter sometimes uh, comments on Paul's uh, writing as hard to understand. <laughs> um, and there are parts of chapter 3 here that I think are. Of course, I'm headed for chapter 4, but I can't get to chapter 4 without actually uh, going in uh, through chapter 3. So, and, and by the way, I'm learning, uh, I hope I'm getting better at this, but I'm learning that how agonizing it is just to pick a text <laughs> out of nowhere and start talking on it, even though, uh, yeah, it's, um, it's good to follow Paul's reasoning, and so I, I'll need to do that. Uh, okay, so I, I think I'll cover that. So, um, we live in a time where every promise that was talked about this morning has come true. Or every promise of fulfillment in Christ. We are, if, you, if you go through uh, Galatians, you'll find uh, times where you're in the valleys and things are hard to follow necessarily, and then vistas that look across all of creation and all of God's purposes. And that's what this peak is. So if you climb the Rockies this summer, or if you're going to, if you have that experience of standing at the top of a peak and being able to look, I mean, you can uh, climb on Hualin Peak and look all the way, way down the valley forever. And that's what this text is like. You can look all the way back to Genesis. Thousands of years and um, millions of lives. And all the way forward, to the redemption and the completion and the fulfillment of all that God intended for you and for me. And so as we do that, um, uh, I pray that God will bring you that understanding. And so uh, just to, just to uh, uh, follow up on, on what Elroy was saying about our praying for each other, um, as, I, as I pick out a text, I, I, I want to remember to be praying for you, that this will be uh, the word of God for you. And then, and then I hope you know that um, my legs tremble and I have an upset stomach and, and it's a terrifying thing. Okay? So, okay. That's what Moses says when he's standing at the... This isn't Sinai, we're at Zion, but anyway, I will... <laughs> I will, in my own distracted way, try to make <laughs> our way through the text. So, I'm going to walk a, a prelude through chapter 4, talk about what that means for us as helpless... Uh, we are under slaves, uh, under guardians and managers that God sends forth his son and then sends forth the spirit of his son and we become adopted. And in that adoption, we become heirs, heirs of, the, heirs of Christ and heirs of the world. So I was thinking about Jesus' statement to the disciples um, what, that we had last week. So I'm going to talk about the prelude for just a minute. Um, and the evils of the human heart that he lists in Mark 7. Uh, Paul lists such evils in, um, in Galatians 5. The works of the flesh are evident. Sexual immorality, impurity, sensuality, idolatry, sorcery, enmity, strife, jealousy, fits of anger, rivalries, dissensions, divisions, envy, drunkenness, orgies, and things like these. I warned you as I warned you before that those who do such things will not inherit the kingdom of God. And so the... Um, point in Mark 7 and the point for us is that our own intentions coming out of our own evil hearts is not good enough to accomplish God's purposes. To put it in John's language, you must be born again. And so when Paul lists these things in Galatians 5, 
people sometimes think, okay, I'm under a new law, and the new law is I can't do those things, those work of the flesh, and I must do the, the uh, fruit of the Spirit. And you can't. You are completely unable to love and have joy and peace and grace and kindness. You think you can, but in the sight of God, all of the things that we do in any way to try to show how good we are fail. And that's good news because if you hear that you cannot accomplish this, you will cry out to God and ask him for mercy and our Father hears your cry. You might want to live a, a good life. You want to be flourishing, and we do. But um, it is impossible without the new heart that's promised. If you read the Old Testament, you will be time after time discouraged at, at the inability of the Israelites to figure this out. Why can't they do that? They say, all of the law, whatever you tell us, Moses, we will do that, and they can't. And that is part of the point of the law is to show us, so what happened when God said, don't touch that tree? That was the first thing we wanted to do. <laughs> I want to eat the fruit of that tree. He said, don't eat the fruit. Um, maybe he said, don't touch it. I don't know. And that's exactly what Jesus is saying in Mark 7 when he tells them about that list, that list that we hate. I hate to read it. You didn't want to hear it. That's what's in the human heart. And just before he said that, he says to them in, in Mark 7, Well did Isaiah prophesy of you hypocrites, as it's written, This people honors me with their lips, but their heart is far from me. In vain do they worship me, teaching as doctrines the commandments of men. So here are people obeying the law in Isaiah. Right, just as soon as, uh, Elroy actually points this out to me, just as soon as Josiah starts the reforms, it's not very long until you hear the prophet saying, yeah, you're doing all these works, but you are not, your heart is far from me. I'm not here to chastise you about your heart being far from the Lord. I'm here to remind you that our loving Heavenly Father sends His Spirit to bring new life to you that will bring a new heart. We do have a role in this. We do have responsibilities, but it is the Spirit of God working in us to delight in His Word and to seek Him out. And so we honor Him by doing that. It is a very complex and sophisticated and um, difficult thing to fully grasp the way that the Spirit of God works with our own heart. So I was thinking about this um, idea that the heart is evil and that we would come against it by just going through the law. And I imagine a story where you walk to the zoo and you get thrown in at lunchtime with the lions. And all you have in your pocket, I don't have one of these, and you'll see why. I don't know why I chose it, but comb. You have a comb in your pocket? You know why I wouldn't have a comb? So um, I wasn't going to make any hair jokes, but, you know, so my hair is a joke. So uh, as you stand there before this giant lion whose saliva dripping off his teeth. Are you terrified? It is one step away with sharp claws. Just imagine what Daniel must have faced. And you pull out the comb so that you look just a little bit better. <laughs> That's what it's like to follow the law. 
you inside are facing this heart, this human heart that is unable to tame the lion. But what can you do? So um, this is exactly the, the passage I wanted you to meditate on this week, is to understand through the law, I died to the law so that I might live to God. I've been crucified with Christ. That's why Christ came. Nevertheless, uh, so it is no longer I who live, but Christ who lives in me. And the life I now live in the flesh, I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. I do not nullify the grace of God. If justification were through the law, Christ died for no purpose. You cannot reform yourself into being a good person. We're up against a very terrible beast. And, um, oh, I wanted to say this. Uh, um, if a wicked heart is what separates us from God and all we have at our disposal is something that we will look just a little more civilized, a little less ridiculous, it's not going to do any good. It's like when Adam and Eve realize that they are naked and so they devise a very clever plan. You know, honey, I think sewing fig leaves together will do the trick. It didn't go well, did it? No. So even a forest of fig trees is not going to help. Um, so how do we get to right standing with God, knowing what we know about the sinful human heart? And the misdirection. Okay, so. So we've gone through this, uh, what happens with the heart and that we are crucified with Christ. So where does righteousness come from? Where does right standing with God come from? And how do we, um, what do we learn from this about Abraham? And why is Paul fascinated by uh, Abraham? And so um, uh, uh, let me just point out sort of the main ideas I want to get to here. The first is that Paul starts in Galatians 3.1 by saying the righteousness was promised by the Spirit. He said, O foolish Galatians, who bewitched you? It was before your eyes that Jesus Christ was publicly portrayed as crucified. So let me ask you this. Did you receive the Spirit by the works of the law or by hearing with faith? Are you so foolish, having begun by the Spirit, you are now being perfected by the flesh? Did you suffer so many things in vain, if indeed it was in vain? Does he who supplies the Spirit to you and works miracles among you do so by the works of the law or by hearing of, with faith, just as... Abraham believed God and it was counted to him as righteousness. Paul points us to Abraham. But the first thing I want to illustrate from this text is it was before your eyes that Jesus Christ was publicly portrayed as crucified. One commentator suggests Paul's phrase publicly portrayed because it talks about writing, about written beforehand, uh, is that that phrase refers to Isaiah 53 and Psalm 22 and Zechariah and the prophecy of the coming Christ, other various Old Testament prophecies. So if you read in Acts how Paul preached the gospel, he went into the synagogues first, showed them that the scriptures teach this, uh, that Jesus is the Christ, and then uh, they would get kicked out of the synagogue, Paul would get beaten up, and they would move on <laughs> and uh, form... Um, a small group. So uh, publicly portrayed means gathering together and hearing the word of God together. That's what we're doing. Um, that's what I hope I'll always be 
doing when I'm trying to do this um, because uh, it's one of the ways that we grow in grace is by being together and being together in the scriptures, in men's groups, in women's groups, in family groups. Uh, we met together this week and went through um, parts of uh, First Peter. I hope you were in a small group. If you're not in a small group, it's one of the ways we look straight into each other's eyes and call one another to the accountability that we need because we are formed together for a body, for a purpose. So we are people in the household of faith. We are sons. Uh, I'll, I'll go ahead and make the comment that if you are a daughter in the church, you're a son of God. You have the authority of a son. You have the full rights and privileges of talking to the father as a son. Sons had privileges in the ancient Near East. And um, whether you're male or female in Christ, that authority, that, res that um, access to the Father, and that uh, working together doesn't change. We are a complementarian church, and we, have, we recognize that there are differences in roles, but there is no difference in standing with um, whether you are male or female. And um, that's one of the things I hate to walk into church and remember anything about how old I am or what the color of my skin or whether I'm a man or a woman, I want to be here as a son of the living God called together with the other people of God to live my life out that way. So the more we point out the differences, the less we understand our unity in Christ. Um, I'll let I'll let Elroy fix that next week. So, um, so let's see if... So uh, let me just uh, say then that faith has to come in order for us to have life. The law itself can't give life, and we were, in fact, enslaved. The scriptures are um, really shocking about this. You might be reading along in the Old Testament, come across the law, and not realize they are being enslaved to the law. It's an old, a former age, and it is a time where... Um, the Spirit has not yet been given, and so works have to be prepared uh, for them to, um, to be uh, the people of God. Now, there's a huge debate out there that I don't think adds any insight into this uh, scripture. Before faith came, we were held captive under the law, imprisoned until the faith would be revealed. So when the law was our guardian until Christ came so that we might be justified by faith, but now that faith has come, we are no longer under a guardian. For in Christ Jesus, you are all sons of God through faith. For as many as of you as were baptized into Christ have put on Christ. There is neither Jew nor Greek. There is neither slave nor free. There is neither male nor female, for you are all one in Christ Jesus. And if you are Christ's, then you are Abraham's offspring, heirs according to promise. And the heir that we're talking about and the inheritance is not, I'll just uh, do this uh, quickly, it's not about a tiny patch of land in Palestine. People read the Old Testament and they think, oh, well, this is all about people giving Abraham's children getting the land back in Palestine. There's huge political structures all around this. God did not send his son for a piece of property of a world that he completely owns. So let's remember that. This is not about political fighting. This is about the transformation of lives and the drawing together of a people scattered all over the earth. And the only way they could be drawn back together was by taking dead 
um, people's slaves to sin and setting them free and drawing them back to Christ himself. So why is that Paul pointing us back to Abraham? There's two reasons that Paul points us to Abraham in this context. When he said, you are offspring, Abraham's offspring, heirs according to promise. The first is that Abraham was justified by faith. And this happened four centuries before the law. How can someone have right standing, access to God, without the law and the temple and the tabernacle? By trusting God and by putting your hope and faith in him. That's right access to God. That's right standing before God. And Abraham, uh, the scriptures testify, when Abraham was promised, he believed it. You have been promised life in Christ, if you will believe it. Now, can you? Yes, by the help of the Holy Spirit. And no, not without the help of the Holy Spirit. But yes, we, um, so, uh, so that's one of the reasons Paul points us to Abraham. The other is that Abraham was called out of a idolatrous culture to follow the living God. So whenever Paul talks about called, he very early on in this book says, how quickly you're deserting the one who called you. And that call is the call to a Gentile idolatrous worshiper to come and follow and learn who God is. So that calling is done effectively by the Holy Spirit to we Gentile idolaters, right, which Paul calls us, uh, but so that when we become born anew in Christ, we become Abraham's offspring. We become part of the promised seed. Now, you have to be um, not too worried about grammar, which is not that easy for me, but its seed is singular and plural, and the seed is Jesus. And you are crucified in Christ. We are the seed of Abraham by being in Christ. But we are also... And this is the most amazing thing about this book, about this letter. We are also the promised offspring, you and I. And so I'll, I'll get to that. With, uh, I should be reading the Bible. So let me. Uh. So we were enslaved into the elementary principles of the world, unable to respond. In other places, Paul will say you were dead in your trespasses and sins. You cannot accomplish the task without the work until the time set by the Father. Your time, my time, all of redemptive history, the very beginning of the age, the end of the age, it's all in the hand of our Father. And so if you are anxious about today or tomorrow, if you're anxious about your life, our Father sets the time. So we were children. There was a time when we were lost and without God, and he brought us from death to life. Because he's the one who sets the time. So my times are in his hand. That's the date uh, that the, set by the Father. So we were enslaved. Uh, Paul says it turns out the law is something that enslaves us. So as many as wa are led by the Spirit, they are not under the law. He'll say that later in Galatians. He's talking about the children of Israel wandering in the wilderness when the um, pillar of fire and the cloud by day lead them, they're being led by the Spirit. And so when you are led by the Spirit, when you read the Scriptures and obey what the Lord is saying, then we become free from the law, free from all these other 
issues and we become uh, alive in Christ. When the fullness of time had come, God sent forth his son, born of a woman and born under the law. Um, There is a lot of theology there. And I recognize that I don't have another hour. I probably don't have another 10 minutes. My time has come. (laughs) Um, But uh, God sent his son into the world. Can you imagine? Would you send your son into this world? Do you know what it's like in all the different parts of the world? Or even in your own life? how you want to do well but may not and do not and fail. God sent his son knowing that he would be crucified on the cross. And he sent him and Jesus willingly came. So he sent forth his son born of a woman. That's the promise in Genesis 3.15. The seed of the woman would destroy the works of the enemy. And then, right, he will bruise your heel and you will crush his head. That's the promise in uh, 3.15, Genesis 3.15. Born under the law uh, in order to redeem those who were under the law so that we might receive adoption as sons. Um, I'm just going to go through pages here. If I had paper, I would throw it away in front of you. Uh, I I just want to take a moment because that's all we have to say. He sent the spirit of his son into our hearts crying, Abba, Father. Um, It took the work of Christ at the cross so that the Spirit could be sent so God could dwell with us. But here, and I I, I can't believe this, but I sort of only this morning realized he's using two languages there, as you know, uh, or maybe you don't, but Abba is an Aramaic term for Father. And um, uh, it's what, there's a number of places where Uh, Jesus uses that phrase. Um, You may know that Abba is the Aramaic word for father. Aramaic became the common language of northern Palestine with the Assyrian invasion in uh, 722 Samaria fell. And eventually throughout uh, Palestine because it was the language of foreign administration and commerce. Jesus likely spoke Aramaic at home. Uh, Mark records that at least when he was in Galilee, he spoke to people in Aramaic. Mark's gospel records that when Jesus is in the Garden of Gethsemane in the moments before being betrayed and abandoned, betrayed by Judas, abandoned by all of his disciples, just before going to the cross to finish the work he's called to do, to pay the ransom, to redeem us out of the law, he prays, and he said, Abba, Father, all things are possible for you. Remove this cup from me, yet not what I will, but what you will. And on the cross, he cries uh, in Aramaic, Eloi, Eloi, lema sabachthani, which means, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? So why does Paul use Aramaic when talking to the Galatian Gentiles? What does it mean to you and I? First, I think because Jesus spoke it, it reminds us that this is Jesus' same spirit that lives in us. If you don't have this spirit in you, if this spirit crying out, Abba, Father, isn't in you, pray and ask. This is what it means to belong to Jesus, is that his spirit works in us to bring us to himself. If you don't have that, you're just playing some other game. So, 
Second, this is the language that reflects the scattering of God's people because of sin and idolatry. God promised, if you don't follow my law, I will send you to the four corners of the, of the world. In these few words, then, are captured all of redemptive history. People exiled from the Garden of Eden, separated by language from the Tower of Babel forward, are being united in one new man, the very Son of the Father, sent by the Father to reconcile us to himself, to rescue us from the present evil age as he prepares a room for us with his Father in a city that has foundations and one day will bring us like a bridegroom, brings his bride to his Father's home to live with him forever. Uh, in, in verse 28, he says, Now you brothers, like Isaac, are sons, uh, children of promise. What Paul is saying in Galatians is that we Gentiles, remember when Abraham and Sarah are waiting forever. She's 90, he's 100, and they don't have a son together. And they've waited a long time. In the same way, all creation has been waiting for us for God to redeem us out of every nation, tribe, and tongue. We are that long-awaited son, the Gentiles, that long-awaited son, you brothers, like Isaac. You can read it as you gloriously reflect on Galatians all week. Uh, you can read it. The one who gave birth, the rejoice the one who does not bear. It is uh, when he quotes um, uh, Isaiah there. So... Uh, through this, we become heirs. In order to be these heirs, we need this new heart. It's the fulfillment of the covenant in uh, Ezekiel. Uh, a new heart and a new spirit, that is the circumcision that Paul talks about in Romans. It is the fulfillment of the promise through Ezekiel, given at a time, sorry, I have to say this, given at a time when the nation is going into exile and people are dying of pestilence and uh, famine, um, at this time, that's when this promise is given. Um, and it's because we can't in our own uh, uh, ability do it. So I'm going to invite Elroy up as I read uh, this last uh, portion of the New Covenant. Elroy's going to help with uh, do communion. And I'm going to um, wrap with this. Um, I will make a new covenant with the house of Israel and the house of Judah. I will put my law, uh, not like the covenant I made with their fathers, on the day when I took them by the hand to bring them out of the land of Egypt, my covenant that they broke, though I was their husband, declares the Lord. But this is the covenant I will make with the house of Israel after those days, the days in which Jesus comes to bring us this new life, this new spirit, declares the, the Lord, I will put my law within them, and I will write it on their hearts, and I will be their God, and they will be my people, and no longer shall each one teach his neighbor and his brother, saying, Know the Lord, for they shall know me, from the least to the greatest, because I will forgive their iniquity, the price Christ paid on the cross, I will remember their sin no more. And this is the new covenant that Jesus promises uh, when the words of institution that um, Jeff just read for us I received from the Lord what I delivered to you, that the Lord Jesus, on the night he was betrayed, took bread. 
And when he had given thanks, he broke it. And he said, this is my body, which is for you. Do this in remembrance of me. In the same way also, he took the cup after supper, saying, this cup is the new covenant in my blood. Do this as you drink it in remembrance of me. For as often as you eat this bread and drink the cup, you proclaim the Lord's death until he comes. So serious is this matter that Paul then says, whoever eats or drinks an unworthy manner will be guilty of profaning the body and blood of the Lord. So let a person examine himself and then so eat of the bread and drink of the cup. If you are a new creation in Christ, if you consider yourself a dead uh, in, uh, uh, crucified with Christ, and that the new life of the Spirit of God lives in you, you're invited to remember the work that Christ did to purchase this great at great price. It's not just to comb your hair. It is to give you a brand new heart and a transformed life. And so I invite uh, whatever happens for communion next.